You are on the Crooked Mile. Join Ed on another fabulous adventure. Thanks very much. Thank you. Welcome again, everyone. Yes, you are on the Crooked Mile. So, the question is, do you suppose that the discovery or creation of a new culinary dish would have a more positive effect on the happiness of mankind, the warming of the human soul, the overall human goodness than, say, the discovery of a new star or constellation? Especially if that new creation is a warm, semi-sweet thing of baked goodness. Well, there is one such creation that still, to this day, has an incalculable measure in its continuing contribution to the welfare of all mankind. So, we should really give credit where credit is due. You see, without Ruth Wakefield's groundbreaking work, research and development, so many things could have been easily so different today. Billion dollar businesses would not have been born for one. But more importantly, countless children would never have had the experience of having the house filled with the warm, unique aroma coming from the kitchen and then holding home-baked love and sweetness in the palms of their little hands. You see, on the company's website, the company that bought the recipe for Mrs. Wakefield's creation and made a gazillion dollars basically makes light of her achievement and passes off her creation as an accident. Apparently, the most amazing breakthrough for the betterment of all mankind in all of human history just kind of happened. It would seem as if the Creator wasn't inventive enough or savvy enough to think it through to get where she got on purpose. So, if you think Ruth's creation happened by chance, just remember, it is said, chance favors the prepared mind. Versions of this particular creation story, as well as others out there, appear to be less than accurate. So, let's explore. Back in 1930, Ruth Wakefield and her husband Ken bought an inn, intending to open a restaurant. It was in pretty good location. It was on the road between Boston and Cape Cod. Now, Ruth Wakefield's experience as a home economist and her cooking skills, her high standards, and her favorite family recipes well, they were successful their very first year. Former employees attribute Ruth's success to her strict attention to detail and her insistence on providing excellent service. Excellent service. In addition to delicious food. She had rules about every little thing, including the exact distance from the edge of the table the silverware should be. She has a whole chapter on setting the table in her book. In a bunch of interviews, former customers raved about her sticky pecan biscuits that were set on every table for the guests to nibble on as they decided what to order. Sticky pecan biscuits on every table. Hmm. Anyway, famous food critic, a man named Duncan Hines, yeah, the cake guy, was particularly fond of her Indian pudding. Joseph Kennedy Sr., was said to drop by frequently for her Boston cream pie. The restaurant was such a Kennedy family favorite that Rose Kennedy had the house inn send weekly care packages to her sons overseas during World War II. John F. Kennedy was partial to Ruth's Mary Jane gingerbread. Hmm, I will have to look that up. 
So you see, in newspaper articles from the 1940s on, customers and employees both who were interviewed praised the gracious service. The gracious service. And the wonderful desserts, which, by the way, had their own separate menu. So, the next question is, does this sound like the kind of place run by a woman who didn't know her way around her own kitchen? So part of the creation myth says that Ruth chopped up some chocolate and added it to some cookie dough as a shortcut, expecting to get chocolate cookies. Mrs. Wakefield, a registered dietitian, probably wasn't big on shortcuts because, by all accounts, she was more interested in getting and doing things right. I mean, if you don't have time to do it right, when are you going to find time to do it over? So you see, in the 30s, well, probably 40s, 50s, 60s, who knows? Anyway, back then, the standard method for treating chocolate was to melt chocolate completely over a double boiler and then add it to your batters. But she didn't do that for this recipe. She already knew how to make chocolate cookies, and it wasn't chocolate cookies she was working on. It wasn't a rookie mistake. And she didn't run out of nuts and swap in chocolate or anything like that. Ruth Wakefield had graduated from the Farmingham State Normal School Department of Household Arts in 1924. She worked as a dietitian and had lectured on food. The recipe in her book, House Tried and True Recipes, there is a recipe for chocolate crunch cookies. It is for chocolate cookies made the traditional way. Both her cookbook and The Joy of Cooking from that era have brown sugar-based butterscotch cookies that look similar to the house-based batter. The base recipe is right there in plain sight. The plain truth, though, must not have been exciting enough for the advertising people. There are stories that claim that she was trying to add chocolate to an old colonial recipe called a butter drop dew. But this turns out to be a complete fabrication, it seems made by some advertising person, no doubt, who wanted to link the house cookie to colonial cooking traditions. And maybe that's why the story was able to gain traction and then stick. Now, there are several variations of the butter drop cookie, but here's just one example. It called for a quarter pound of butter, one pound of sugar, a sprinkle of mace, four eggs, and a glass of rose water. Now, if you will note, there is no brown sugar, no brown sugar, as there is in Ruth's recipe. One stick of butter, plus a pound of sugar, mace, a spice that's related to nutmeg, four eggs, and a glass of rose water. Back in colonial days, vanilla was not commonly used in cooking. Anyway, combining these ingredients won't make anything close to Ruth's cookie. Ruth's cookies used a combination of brown and white sugar, fewer eggs, more butter, mmm, more butter. So, you see that the two recipes are clearly not even related. Then, there's a lesser known creation myth out there that goes something like this. A former chef at the house claimed that it was actually all his doing. He said, that while mixing a giant batch of cookie dough in the big mixer, the vibrations of the mixer caused the bars of chocolate to accidentally fall into the cookie dough. Hmm. Okay. Did the bars of chocolate come unwrapped due to the vibrations of the mixer as well, 
or did they come unwrapped after they fell in or on the way down? It's said that the chef claimed that Mrs. Wakefield wanted to throw out the dough, but he talked her into using it, and the house cookie was born. Yeah, not buying that one either. So, years later, in an interview on the cookie's anniversary, Mrs. Wakefield, Mrs. Ruth Graves Wakefield herself, told a reporter that she was thinking about a new cookie to serve and came up with the idea she wanted to try, involving her butterscotch nut wafers and bits of chocolate. And that's where the idea came from. And even though she said this, the stories continue to ignore the truth, using the made-up accident theory instead. The truth is, Ruth Wakefield made experimental cookies until she got what she had in mind. It was a deliberate attempt on her part to make a new cookie. And people love them. And they started asking for the recipe, which the restaurant would happily provide. She didn't think it was that big of a deal. I mean, there were only cookies after all. She doesn't even have a picture of the cookies in her house cookbook. Now, Ruth's story is the most believable of all, I think, not just because her story is from her own mouth, but because the recipes for those brown sugar cookies are in her cookbook, and a similar one is in The Joy of Cooking from the same time. She took an existing idea and improved it and invented the cookie that changed the world. So are you with me? Or did you beat me here a long time ago? The house in question, the house that Ruth Wakefield and her husband bought on the road between Boston and Cape Cod, was actually a toll house. And they liked the name so much, they kept it. So, of course, it was the Toll House Restaurant. And the company that bought Ruth Wakefield's original recipe is, of course, Nestle. Hence, the Nestle Toll House Cookie. I mean, what else could it be? So, in 1939, the Toll House Restaurant and the Toll House Cookie were featured on Betty Crocker's popular radio show, Famous Foods from Famous Places. And interest in the new cookie spread from New England to the rest of the country. Nestle bought exclusive rights to the recipe and the use of the Toll House name from the Wakefields in 1939 as well. They started to sell the semi-sweet chocolate bars with little score marks in the chocolate so people could cut the pieces in just the right size. Then, in 1940, they introduced the Toll House morsel so that bakers would not have to chip off the bits of chocolates with an ice pick or perhaps an axe. And even though Nestle, to this day, calls them morsels on the package, we all know them as chocolate chips. So, Nestle printed the original recipe on the back of their semi-sweet chocolate bars and then on the packages of the chocolate chips. And they also advertised the heck out of them as a huge breakthrough in desserts, second only to ice cream. Nowadays, we don't think about it much, but to women in the 30s and 40s, an easy-to-make dessert was a lifesaver for many. This is according to Nestle's research at the time. 
Nestle did some other research at the time. From the data collected, Nestle felt the best way to sell chocolate chips was to appeal to most women's desire to be a good mom, a good cook, a great hostess, and to establish a good reputation with friends and family. According to some of the ads of the time, baking some Toll House cookies would solve all your social and marital problems. The ad campaigns for Nestle's chocolate chips and other products of the time are hilarious. And then came World War II, and that threw a wrench into everyone's cooking. With rationing and ingredient shortages, baking cookies would have been seen as an extravagance. But Nestle's advertising agency saw this challenge as an opportunity and came up with this brilliant idea. Baking Toll House cookies to win the war. It is your patriotic duty. One of the ads with a picture of a young man who appears to be a pilot or a paratrooper or something reads, Your soldier boy is far from home. Won't you send him a batch of cookies? Do it to save democracy. So many of our boys overseas tasted chocolate chip cookies for the first time in USO canteens and from other soldiers. Then the soldiers who were tasting the cookies for the first time started requesting them from home as well. And this, coupled with Nestle's heavy advertising that baking these cookies was something women at home should do for their soldiers away fighting for the American way of life, might account for the increased popularity outside of New England. And, of course, they are delicious. And we are talking about the chocolate chip cookie, after all. I think it would have made it with or without a world war. So after the war, the baby boom generation grew up eating chocolate chip cookies. And these cookies would go on to become our national cookie. Officially, well, I'm not sure. But the Nestle Toll House cookie, as far as I'm concerned, is our national cookie. So Ruth Wakefield's original Toll House cookie recipe was printed exactly to the letter on the Nestle chocolate chip packages as per Ruth's contract with Nestle until 1979 when their contract expired. When their contract did expire, Nestle, to their credit, updated, modernized, and simplified the recipe. They increased the size of the cookie from a small half teaspoon to a large tablespoon. That change alone basically changed the entire nature of the cookie. What are we talking about here? A cookie that is now six times larger than the original. Yes, the original cookie was smaller and crunchier. The new version is now larger and chewier. Other notable changes included removing the half teaspoon of water. The original recipe also called for one cup of butter or shortening. No shortening, just butter. More chewy goodness. Then Nestle changed placing the dough on a greased cookie sheet, which makes the dough spread out more, to an ungreased cookie sheet, slowing the spread. Thicker, chewy goodness. And they lowered the temperature and baking time. So all in all, Nestle achieved even more thicker, chewy goodness. So now according to Nestle, 
about half of all the homemade cookies baked in the United States are Toll House cookies. Sales of both chocolate chips and the ready-baked dough go up the last quarter of every year. When cookie lovers across the country bake chocolate chip cookies for the holidays. Now, the only thing better than having fresh home-baked chocolate chip cookies is actually baking them yourself. That's because, I don't care how old you are, you get to sneak a taste of the forbidden fruit that is, of course, the raw cookie dough. I know, I know, you're not supposed to, but, <laughs> I mean, you're not supposed to, that's why you have to sneak it. And, this could easily be the best tasting thing in all of creation. So, yeah. So, yes, I love a good chocolate chip cookie. And I really like baking them myself as well. And, okay, yes, I like sharing them too. And, like I said, we should set the record straight and give credit where credit is due. So, thank you, Mrs. Wakefield. Oh, I almost forgot. August 4th is National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. But hey, we don't have to wait. Because, truly, there is nothing more satisfying than sharing fresh, home-baked love and sweetness. There is nothing more fulfilling than sharing soul-warming, chewy goodness that has attributed to the betterment of all of mankind. Thanks for joining us. And you're welcome. Until next time.